Hey everybody, this is a terrific episode. We are going to be talking a lot more broadly about non-neurotypical children, and we got a bit distracted with ADHD. We just had so much to talk about. Such an incredible conversation. I asked them if they could extend it, do an extra long episode. Really like to get them back again, so leave any comments, any any questions that you might have, anything like that. We didn't get to half the stuff I wanted to cover. Put put it out there on social media, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Was asking for questions. Hey, who wants to know about non-neurotypical children, autism and, and ADHD, things like that. And I was overwhelmed with the response that I got. People had so many questions. Obviously, this is a topic that I need to cover a whole bunch more than I have in the past. Me without children didn't realize how much folks care about this topic. Such a terrific conversation. And today's episode is brought to you by Jeffrey Oliver. Patreon Saint Jeffrey Oliver has been a longtime supporter of the show. We got to have an hour-long Zoom chat, and I got to thank him. We got to uh, uh, have a, a great chat about life and get to know one another a little bit. If you want to be a Patreon Saint, support the show, sponsor an episode, chat with me on Zoom, head over to Patreon. Is It It, it seemed crazy to me at first. Do I really want to talk with strangers on Zoom and potentially even put those chats on Patreon for other people to see? Fortunately, the people that are into a science podcast are really awesome, interesting, curious uh, people who uh, just, uh, you know, the it's so nice to meet like-minded people. It's so hard to have big conversations like this. And that's why I've started a Discord community recently, which you also have access to through your Patreon support. All right, enough with the plugs. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Look, we're having fun already. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast, everybody. I'm comedian Shane Moss. Joining me today is Claire Duckwitz and Natalie Manhurst. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves a little bit? Because you you guys also have a, a science podcast of your own, correct? Yes, that is correct. So I'll I'll introduce <laughs> myself, Claire, first, and then you can go. So I'm Natalie, and I am a pediatric occupational therapist, and I've had my own practice for about 11 years, and I work with children, mostly who have sensory processing disorders and um, autism spectrum disorder and developmental delay. And Claire and I know each other because we have uh, mutual clients. We've worked together in Boulder, Colorado, where I no longer am, but mm-hmm. that's where we met. Mm-hmm. Hmm. My turn? Yes, Claire. Um, I'm Claire Thomas-Duckwitz. I'm a licensed psychologist and a licensed school psychologist. So I have a master's in clinical psychology and a PhD in school psychology. And um, I work in a private practice. Um, I sometimes teach at a university and I work part-time in a school district. Um, And I, I guess most of my population that I work with is, you know, are kids on the spectrum or kids and adults with ADHD. 
Yeah, so fun. we have a podcast that we are doing, which is super fun. What's the name um, of it? It is called A Little Cerebral. And um, it is about, uh, you know, we, well, I'll tell you who it's for. It's for mostly for children, sorry, for parents who have children with special needs or children with different needs. And the goal as to why we made it is because we wanted to um, have more of a community for parents who have children with different needs and just a, another place for them to like gather and share stories. So we have parents share their stories um, that we then share so that it creates a community through that and people can, you know, kind of find value in that and commonalities. And then also um, we share just different terminology and diagnosis and information that's kind of thrown around. Uh, like a lot in the special needs world that yeah. a lot of parents, like you get the diagnosis and then it's like you have all this information kind of coming at you. So part of it also is just to educate um, from a non-biased point of view as well for parents. Yeah. I have nothing to add. So that great. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. That's I'll be here all evening. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start saying that, by the way. I put a lot of pressure on myself to add things for no reason. A lot of times I'm just adding something just to be adding something. I'm 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 going to start saying I have nothing to add. That was great. I I I, I um if there's one takeaway from this episode that that should really be the title of my podcast. <laughs> I have podcast. nothing to add. Period. <laughs> this, this is I have nothing. <laughs> Um, so where, where are we with how we, is it, is it, uh, how do we talk about kids that are, cause I, I asked, first off, I know people are going to be very, very interested in this episode because I've been, since I've been doing these remotely, I've, I've, for the first time, um, started posting things on social media and Patreon, different things, asking people, Hey, we're going to be talking about um, ADHD and autism and school reopening and and education and 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 people were so excited to hear about this. And I saw a lot of different language being used in terms of you know I was I was very familiar with like special needs when I was kind of um, in uh, when I was in school. That was what was being used. And then there was like. What's the new one that I'm seeing a lot more of? Non-ordinary uh, or something neuro, like that. Um, so, are you talking about like not neurotypical? Not yes, that's the one. The way better than not ordinary. <laughs> not, <laughs> not ordinary. Not ordinary. <laughs> well, see, this is why it's important to have this conversation because there's a lot of there's a lot of. Um, well-meaning dopes like me out there that don't know exactly how, how to talk about so, Yeah, I think the term can also be like neurodiverse. You talk about a neurodiverse yeah, population, neurodiverse. like neurodiversity. Um, but what I do you also guys think use? it depends on the individual. I mean, I use, I, I say children with different needs because I think um, when people hear the term special needs, and actually, Claire, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear your point of view on this. When I think people hear the term special needs, what comes up for them just 
um, for the general population, it tends to be more like physical disabilities or really um, kind of significant disabilities mm -hmm. in terms of even like children who have an autism diagnosis and then they're nonverbal. So there's a lot of things in between, including like um, invisible disabilities or just developmental delays. So yeah. it's not necessarily like special needs encompasses like everybody, just like autism encompasses like a huge, like a range of, of presentations. But right. I think that when people hear special needs, they're like, oh, they must have like, you know, an adaptive equipment, like a wheelchair, or they must have yes. like all of these services or they must be nonverbal. So I say different needs because just depending, there's like, especially it's just like such a huge thing. And, you know, kids come in, I mean, obviously all shapes and sizes, but in terms of just their development too, you could have a child who really doesn't even qualify for school services who's really struggling until so they have a different need mm -hmm. or they struggle with regulation. Um, and that's not even necessarily like a diagnosis. They're right. just like dysregulated. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't fit neatly into a diagnosis. I mean, so for me, I'm in two different worlds, right? So in the school system and in special education, disability is the terminology that's used. And then if you're in a clinical setting, uh, like as a psychologist using a DSM, uh, DSM-5, you would use the word disorder. Um, I like the word mm. disability. That's typically what I use. DSM, we into it? We for it? We against it? What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> I think that's a complex question. I mean, I would, I'm, I'm mostly into it. I'm disappointed um, that uh, developmental trauma uh, or complex trauma wasn't included in the most recent... Um, version of the DSM. I think there was a lot of evidence to support developmental trauma as very different from sort of like PTSD. Um, and, and so I, and I think that the outcomes are very different and I think um, that should have been in there. So I disagree with that. Um, I'm also, can I express my disappointment yeah. as well? I'm disappointed that um, sensory <laughs> processing disorder was not included in That was it. my next one. I because that's huge. Yeah. That one in 20 children are yeah. diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. Like, why is that what, not what in our manual? I'm disappointed. I don't know sensory processing disorder. What? What is hmm. the, you just that is like disappointing? That, <laughs> that really is. You just like hear tastes or something like that. Is this just like I mean, that would be when, way when, cool. when I yeah. when I do LSD and I have sensory processing <laughs> yeah. disorder? Is that? Is it, yeah, I, I mean, um, like same, same, but probably more different than that. It's um, sensory processing disorder is basically like, so you have all of this, all of these senses that come in and your brain has to process it from the lower brainstem up to your like upper brainstem. And so depending on how effective or efficient your brain is at processing them, you can present different ways. So everybody always has like strengths and weaknesses in terms of how they process like everything that's coming in. So that could be like from sight, from hearing, from taste, from touch, from everything. Um, and it's a way that you make sense of your world. So for example, one that's kind of thrown around is really auditory processing. And that's very specific um, to that sense of hearing, right? So I could have like, if I'm listening to something, I might not be able to pick up words. Like I talk pretty fast. So for someone who has auditory processing, they probably would have like very little idea of what I was saying right now. Um, <laughs> I but think more I than have that, some processing <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, right. Um, but more than that, it's more about um, just when you have, it's not specific to one sense. So I think that's kind of a common uh, misconception. It's really about you know, what level of the brain has a processing disorder and problem processing information. And then when you have problems, let's say, discriminating with touch, you're going to have problems most likely with like regulation. So it kind of impacts like a few different levels typically in the brain, but it's just 
how you make sense of your world and your brain sort of gets like the pathways are a little bit off or just like not mm. as effective. It could be slow. Seems like an important issue. Very. Um, well, well, it sounds like you guys ha- do have mad beef with the DSM, if I can put words in your mouth. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, Major beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. I Now... Let me throw this at you. I I would say that there's a lot of people out there. I, I would maybe even include myself on this uh, on this list in some regards. Um, uh, uh, but but there's there's certainly it tends to be you'll hear from older folks like, well, when I was, where did all these things come from? All of a sudden, they're just making up stuff, and, and it does seem the DSM does seem to get uh, larger and larger all of the time, which to me. I think that's exciting that we're kind of evolving as a culture and a species and in and in, 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 in science and our understanding. And this is just much in the way th- this is much like mindfulness or we're just becoming aware of of more things and, and also being able to um, uh, tease apart um, different things that maybe we lumped into one uh, category before. But. It's also do they do they ever take anything off the DSM? Do they ever be like, nah, never mind, we screwed up on yeah, that? One. Yeah. Turns turns out the kid was fine. Well, so in, in the DSM is so I should I should say it's for um for everyone, right? Like so it's not just for kids, it's just that I work within the realm of kids. And and it's yeah. so broad that I mean I can't there's a lot of disorders that I can't speak to because it's not really something I work with. So I typically work um, with the neurodevelopmental disorders um, and then anxiety disorders and some trauma. That being said, so to answer your question about things being taken out, yeah, being um, so now we use the term queer, right, or gay or lesbian. And um, so homosexual, because it was put in the DSM, is actually considered offensive, an offensive term to a lot of people because it was considered a mental disorder. And that's no longer in there. So yay. Ah, oh, I forgot about that one. Yikes. Yeah, Yeah, no kidding. I think there's also, and Claire, I I think you should speak to this, is that there's a lot of also like nuances. Like we we were talking the other day about um, like oppositional defined disorder and kind of ADHD and all the subcategories of ADHD. So you always start with like one major thing, like, oh, this is ADHD. And then you're able to define it into all these different like subtypes, which I think is even more interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and the DSM doesn't rec, we talked a little bit about, uh, we tried, there was a bird that got in the way. <laughs> yeah, we both have ADHD yeah. and there is a bird, like this really loud bird. And so our whole episode, <laughs> it will clear started it off. She was like, it was the I bird wanted episode. to talk about, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you guys both have ADHD? Mine's not diagnosed, but yes. And let me just say yeah. the ADHD is strong in my family. <laughs> and well, like, this, and I definitely yeah, I mean I would say yes, I have combined the, 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 this is this is like uh <laughs> well, this is interesting to bring up because because this is another this is another grievance that that you hear aired uh, you know, especially amongst the general public that I also empathize with the uh, I kind of relate to this position that this kind of self-diagnosis that that we do on ourselves how how accurate is some of this stuff now I'll say this as someone who is also hasn't been officially diagnosed with ADHD but I've just known it I'm like why would I take a test to know <laughs> like to get like I know what I have I'm like there's 
I don't really have interest in like taking a medication or whatever. And and then I had um I had a oh shoot. How am I forgetting her name all of a sudden? I'll put it in afterwards. I had a fantastic um ADHD researcher on a couple of years ago. Oh shoot, what was her name? It'll come to me. And I took a ADHD test um that she uh, i i imagine an official test might be a bit more involved yeah it's, it's, a, number filled of, out it's a, a number of tests when you do an evaluation yeah. i just did a fun adhd questionnaire for mm-hmm. for the podcast and i uh, flying colors 100 percent every every single question <laughs> on the questionnaire was the most extreme adhd answer that uh, that a person um could have so uh, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on this in in terms of in in a world where everyone's on um webmd what what issues do you see with this yeah. of of some of the overdiagnosis that happens well i have a lot to say about this so sure. like and i'm gonna try to remember all the things i want to say because that's hard for me sometimes um, so the first thing I would say is like, I mean, yes, people do self-diagnose. I mean, I, I diagnose people for a living, so I feel like okay with that. And since I have yeah. like, you know, family members with it, I feel like extra okay with it. Um, so, I mean, what, what I would say is, so ADHD is rule in and rule out. And so you, there's a lot of symptoms with ADHD that look like, um, or there's a lot of other symptoms with other uh, disorders that look like ADHD, right? So you rule in the symptoms, which actually often isn't that hard. A lot of people can like, you know, um, like they will endorse the fact that they have those symptoms. That being said, that's why a careful clinical interview is so important because so for me, one of the big ones is trauma. So there's a lot of people who have like a history, especially if it's a history of complex trauma where it started in childhood. So then some of these symptoms are appearing in childhood um, because, you know, ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disability. So it has to have started in childhood. Um, But there's a lot of symptoms of trauma that mimic ADHD. And so sometimes differentiating that is really hard. Um, And I, and I think that a good clinical interview can be helpful and just like, you know, really asking questions about what that, you know, when they're talking about a particular symptom, like, tell me more about that, explain what that's like. So you can really get a sense of, you know, does this seem like ADHD or does this seem like something else? Oh, can I go? Can I go? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I actually do have a formal, formal diagnosis of ADHD, but this was given like way back in... Um, way back when, when there were were different subtypes and it was, um, you know, I just did it more at at an age where I wanted just the gratification of, of having other people almost like recognize that this is why I I am the way I am. Um, you know, that being said, kind of similar to Claire, I think that, you know, seeing a lot of children with ADHD, it's, it's easy to kind of trace back, you know, those symptoms. Now, I think a big part of it is really being able to analyze whether you're a parent or an adult or anything in between how much of it is really impacting your life. So in terms of function versus dysfunction. Um, Yeah. And I think that's a really, really big thing. Like a lot of people are walking around um, with like ADHD symptoms, but are they able to manage? Is it taxing? Like emotionally, is it, you know, making their job harder? All of these things kind of come into play. And then I also think there's a lot of other things that go into specifically symptoms of ADHD, including, um, 
you know, how well your quality of sleep and also going along with that, even just um, like if you are mouth breathing too, that can impact, um, you know, like also it goes into, they're all related, right? Everything's always related. So we're just wait, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. Could you go back there? What did you just say? Something, what, what was the thing about mouth breathing? Um, so if you breathe through your mouth, which can be related to more of like tethered oral tissues or, um, you know, just like for structural reasons, let's say. So you don't have your tongue rest on your palate. And this is like a whole different discussion. Mm -hmm. But when you are sleeping, then what happens is that you breathe through your mouth and then your body sends a shot of adrenaline every like 20 to 30 seconds to wake yourself up. So you essentially can breathe through your mouth. And then from that, you're unable to get into a deep sleep. So then you have these kids um, and adults who are chronically tired and then the way that it presents when you're chronically tired to wake yourself up um, is you look like kind of like this tornado. You have presentation like ADHD. It's really hard to concentrate on one thing and you're kind of like running around. So I think a lot of people are just chronically tired too. Uh, can I, can I? Is that my thing? <laughs> that, <laughs> it, if it I just be. found out that's what I've had in my whole life, I'm going to be upset with myself for not getting an actual, <laughs> maybe I should have been like, ah, whatever. I got the thing. You can get a sleep test and see. You know, your quality of sleep. No, Claire, you can't say anything. I'm talking to (laughs) Natalie here. (laughs) All right, Claire, what do you have Um, to say? What I wanted to say is, I mean, ADHD is more than just like, I mean, I think we think of, you know, hyperactive kids who are running around, right? Or like inattention, distractibility, but it is more than that. I mean, there's something called goal-directed persistence, you know, so staying focused on, on tough tasks. I mean, typically with ADHD, you would also see executive functioning impairment, which I am like, that's another rabbit hole. Um, and emotional dysregulation and emotional, as well. Yes. And I think I actually think that there's a lot of people. So in addition to the fact that there's people who are diagnosed with ADHD who should who do not have ADHD, there are people who are not diagnosed with ADHD and they're diagnosed with something else and they have ADHD. And and I think the emotional dysregulation really throws a lot of people off um, because I think like one of the especially if it's it's not somebody who, you know, is in the field, like sometimes people will make. Um, comments like, oh, it must be bipolar, right? Because their mood is all over the place or, but, but emotional Mm -hmm. dysregulation is definitely, you know, a big part of ADHD. And so I think that that's often missed um, and it's mistaken for other things. And emotional dysregulation really can be like, like having emotional outbursts. Like I cannot regulate my emotions. So it, it goes along with that impulsivity, right, Claire? Yes, but it's also, so there's like emotional clarity. It's like, how am I doing right now? And then there's that ability, like, so there's these other like underlying kind of building block skills that would be kind of like more like uh, executive functioning type skills. So like inhibiting, uh, so stopping yourself from doing something that you want to do. Um, and if that, that, that's the impulsivity, right? And so if that's impacted, then um, that would affect the emotional outburst, right? Like you are having a hard time keeping yourself from having this outburst and, and maybe you're not mm. aware of how you're, how you're feeling at this moment. Um, and, and so, um, I mean, there's other things that go with it too, but I mean, and you could even think of like metacognition, right? Like your ability to know like, how am I doing, like, sort of just compared to other people? I mean, there's just a bunch of things that go into the emotional dysregulation. I feel like a bunch of building block pieces. Hmm. 
I do think though that, and Claire and I talk about this quite a bit is, um, you know, whenever you have a symptom or a behavior or an issue that is impacting your life in a more dysfunctional way, you have to look at um, the most foundational level and build up from there. Mm. So for example, like ADHD is a very complex, as Claire just out, like laid out a very complex diagnosis and there's a lot of different pieces to it. So, um, you know, going from there, figuring out what's the most foundational level. So that's why you know, for me, when I see clients, a lot of times I'm looking at sleep and their quality of sleep because that's going to impact like just like their behavior during the day and how they feel. Um, same thing with like nutrition. Mm -hmm. And also that's going to impact how they feel. Um, a lot of children that, you know, we work with uh, who have processing disorders also have trouble processing food like into their gut. So that can, you know, lead to chronic inflammation and then some other things. Um, but um, and, you know, we refer huh. out for nutritionists, but just looking at, you know, the very foundational stuff like sleep, eating, uh, Claire, what else is foundational? Uh, well, I mean, some of like the nutrition, like we were talking about, like, um, so omega threes can be really helpful. They don't have a very strong effect mm -hmm. size, but, but they can be helpful. They've been shown consistently to be helpful. With ADHD. With ADHD. Sorry. With ADHD. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think with other disorders, hmm. behavioral regulation too, but yeah, certainly with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but I think that just like, like stimulants really are like, and I'm not saying that you should go straight to a stimulant because I, we talk about doing these building block things first, but you know, um, once you've done all of that stimulants, you know, really do have, um, good data behind them. So, mm -hmm. but going, sorry, I interrupted mm -hmm. you, Natalie. Yes. I thought of my third one oh, though. Right. It's sleep, nutrition, and then also um, just making sure that you have the ability to uh, process as you, as you, as you should be able to. So for example, um, if I always send or recommend like a chiropractic care for kids as well, just because, um, you know, depending on how they're born, et cetera, like any physical trauma can impact especially the level of the atlas. And I think that that can like overstimulate or understimulate just to very much generalize it later to the parasympathetic nervous system or the sympathetic. And then that can kind of tend that child to more of like one extreme or another. So just making sure that everything that our body and our brain relies on is like set foundationally and then going up from there. Yeah. And, wow. and then, and then I would do more of like the top down type stuff. So more of like the, um, like, you know, cognitive behavioral strategies. Um, and, and I guess I should, you know, I, I need to back up because with the stimulants, I'm like, as I'm thinking about this, like the effect sizes are for <laughs> symptom reduction, but you were talking about functional impairment. Right. And so like, um, yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, especially if you're teaching particular strategies that are addressing like executive dysfunction, um, you know, and I would actually say things that help with emotional regulation like DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, um, you know, those can be really helpful from a functional point of view. So I feel like it's like this holistic approach. And we're not even talking about like neurofeedback, mm. which is also great, right? So, yeah, hmm. right. So I wouldn't, yeah. Right. I think that if you're wondering, gosh, like, does this apply to my child? Does this apply to me? I think that the best thing you can do first is, well, I think you can start to educate yourself um, just like around whatever you think it is. And then I think that looking at those foundational levels is really important. And then, you know, kind of, um, you know, seeing the correct professional as well from there. But you can always address nutrition. You can always like kind of think of what your sleep habits are just to even see if that's an issue. Yeah. Wow. So, well, let me Is go. Is your on mind a, blown? 
Well, it's all over the place because I'm ADHD. Let me go on a let me go on a, a long-winded monologue about myself, sharing information I'm sure my listeners have heard a hundred times before, and I'm gonna say it anyway. I I, I really like thinking about these subjects because um, I, I I mean this is this is gonna be a little indulgent, a little a little bit of me search here, but um, I I have. So one, I, I have terrible impulse control uh, issues. Anyone that that knows me would uh, would verify that. I I do I like to think of myself as a pretty emotionally well regulated, even keel person. Unless you follow me on Twitter, um, and then you would probably disagree. That might but be. There's that might a couple be, uh, things. Impulsivity. That might be. I mean, that might be what that is. Sorry, interrupting. Yeah, well, I need to, uh, as soon as as I'm done typing it, I just need to hit send. I don't proofread or anything. And then afterwards, I look at it. I'm like, oh, no, why did I? Ah, well, can't delete now. It's uh, it's already there. But I had, um, I'm hung up on two things. One, I'm going to push back against uh, against some of the, like, I want to, I'm I'm curious how we qualify, like, what is uh, functioning, uh, human. Um, and then, um, and then I'm still stuck on the, on the sleep thing. This blows my mind because one, I'm like, a I think I'm like an open mouth. Like I'm a real, like drooly fella. Like, uh, this beard's just not working right now. <laughs> I just wake up. And then I also, I found out recently, I talked with a friend. I was like, I had him on, uh, on, on Skype and I had one of my, this crazy, pelt of a mustache that i have like half of it was pressed down and they're like why you why is half of your mustache one way and i'm like oh i have bedhead on my mustache so i guess i sleep i guess i sleep on my face i guess that's not normal to sleep you know you like, have like a face. real mustache when you have bed mustache i have bed <laughs> mustache so so what and then and when you said tongue on the on the palate that's how you're supposed to sleep. Your tongue's like literally, are you talking your tongue's supposed to go to like the roof of your mouth and your mouth is supposed to be closed and that's, that's how you sleep? You could literally tape your mouth shut if you wanted to try it. So okay. you can tape your mouth shut and this is like a thing that some people do. So um, it's not like that weird, but you're really supposed well, to breathe through your nose. That's, I mean. Time, but. I mean, Claire, Claire can speak to this too. Right? Yeah, well, um, I totally can. Can I, can I? Can I also just just before you speak to? Can I also say just a couple because it might give you a fuller picture. I also always brag to people about what a good sleeper I am because I fall. I, I. It's really hard to wake me up, and I can like fall asleep. I can nap no problem. Um, I can fall asleep very easily. It, there's been a lot of periods in my life that I just attributed to depression where I slept for long periods, but I considered myself a really good sleeper, but I do, I do the thing where I like, I jolt myself, um, awake a fair, is that not a normal thing that people do is like jolt themselves, like, like sort of like gasping for air once, I know, I once in a while. I don't think you're supposed to be gasping for air. I mean, well, again, it's like not our area of expertise. You really should get a sleep study. 
Well, I'm talking to you right now and I'm not, I don't have enough focus to schedule an appointment and actually make the meeting. Um, so uh, anyway, Claire, uh, talk, uh, tell us yes, about sleep. Claire can talk about, about mouth breathing. breathing. Yes. Just that I, just that I did mouth breathe. Is that like what you're talking about? Yeah, you just what you're saying about how much different yeah. it is yeah. to breathe through your nose. Yeah, okay. So we so I knew that I had a hard time breathing through my nose, but I just never really did anything about it because um, you know, I, I didn't think it was like that big of a deal. Um and then we did the mouth breathing episode, which coincided with me learning that like sometimes if you have like bone spurs in your nose, that, that can, you know, contribute to migraines, like I'm not speaking it as an authority. I just, I heard that like from a doctor who knew and bone spurs in your nose. What is it with, I, I, I started this like podcast because I was just like, I want to hear about why animals have sex in weird ways. And, and like ever, ever <laughs> since the quarantine, it's like every episode is just like, more bad news like me just finding out about some other horrible thing to imagine there's burnt bone spurs in noses that lead to mine yeah there wasn't mine i mean and i didn't even know that um so so essentially i just i went and i got my nose checked out and i had to have surgery so uh, i have a new nose um and yeah, I have a new nose as well because I got bone spurs. No, the bone spurs. Wait, what's a, what, what is a? Person. I'm sorry. This is first off. I do love that it's going to be three ADHD people just yelling over one another. That's what I hope <laughs> will happen. Um, and w- first off, what's a bone spur? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna sh- just be vulnerable and let people know that I don't fully know what a bone spur is and i didn't realize you could have one in your nose i don't know either i had it in my I didn't know that. They, I thought your nose was like cartilage yeah they didn't know about that. I'm like totally confused I, I don't know they didn't know about it until they did the surgery but the reason i got my nose fixed was because of the breathing so i could not breathe through my nose and i didn't realize how bad it was until they like did something where they moved the thing that was not working and then I, is this one of those things where the mechanic goes and does a th- the thing they're supposed to do and then afterwards they're like, well, well, I was in there. I also fixed up this and that thing that they definitely didn't do for you so that you write them like a good review. Or as what I'm wondering is no, if Claire's you got lied like to really about. Yeah, it was really. <laughs> well, I know that's uh, you got the surgery, but I wonder if they just kind of threw in the bone spur. No, I really thing, trust the surgeon. You know. he, was, he was a good guy. I really think that um, that was just like. Surprise! There's a bone spur. <laughs> Not this oh, guy. He wouldn't make up. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm making dumb nose spur jokes. They are definitely not worth it. Okay. Continue. No, I mean, I, I, I don't think it was like that at all. I think, I think the surgeon was um, really good, and I think that that was just like, hey, bonus. You all had I, a bone spur we didn't know about, so we took care of that too. And, and you know, maybe that'll help your migraines. And so, um, yeah, but I can breathe way better, way better. What about migraines? Uh, yeah, I still get them. The- <laughs> <laughs> it's just that now my nose so, hurts too. Better. <laughs> so, so I took care of that. So check. Okay. Uh, something. I mean, like we'll we said, Shane, is that there's never just one thing. It's all related. So that's like one right. piece of the puzzle. Um, 
I mean, if I find out that I've been just sleeping wrong the whole time. You should listen to our mouth breathing episode and then get back to us. I'm going to. I can send you a diagram also if that would help. I'm always up for diagrams. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's uh that's in my bio um always up for diagrams i so there's a couple things that i have uh i I don't know how to say i i go back and forth with how seriously i take the diagnosis of adhd even though i have it myself and i like i i i just am like dripping money all you know how you know how people like subscribe to a thing and then they forget that they didn't uh, that they subscribe to it and then they've been paying like ten dollars a month like forever or whatever that's just i'm just doing that all of the time like i'm just always just leaking money that i don't know about like everywhere money that i don't have to be leaking and just stuff like that like if i if i showed you my my uh room Right now, it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. My entire and uh, and I have you know anyone that knows me would would say that I I have a uh, ADHD. However, I get the vibe. Let me put that out there. I definitely get the ADHD. Thanks. Yeah. So so I think you're Thank on the right track. <laughs> I'm not crazy. At least I'm not crazy. Uh, well, I, I've also been diagnosed as bipolar, so I guess I'm a bit crazy. Um, that one. But uh, maybe and maybe not, you know, it could be the emotional dysregulation. Yeah, you. Yeah, this is this goes. This is very poignant, actually, Shane. Great. I, point. I'm not saying you aren't because I, I really am not qualified to say that because I am not treating you. But I would just say maybe revisit it. So, well, once in a while, I think I'm like a time traveler. So that's I mean, that's a little beyond emotional regulation. <laughs> stuff just once in a while i start time traveling uh, that's that's pretty i'm told that's mania um and then it goes away with medication what's There's that? more to mania than that but yes i mean you yeah, be yeah part of it but i mean you would need more you would need more than that for mania i don't have my dsm5 okay. with me i left it at home thinking i wouldn't need it so <laughs> Sarah does usually keep it in her back pocket. Um, but can well, I speak to your to your thing about um, your question or your comment about like you know ADHD? Is it like a is it a thing? Right? Is it an actual construct? Well, this this is why I bring this up. I I think that when I was in school, um, you know, I was always in trouble. I was always in detention or whatever. But I was always in my mind, I was focused. I was focused on imagining my future career as a comedian. I didn't think that school was going to help me in any way. So I was very focused on like creating jokes and planning out my life and everything. I was, and it was, so there's like an internal focus and then there is, um, uh, there's an external focus. Like I'm not the best listener in the entire world, but I can focus and write for hours. Oh, Claire, hours you should talk it. about like yeah, that hyper focus. I'm raising my hand because I have some things. We can't. Yeah, we can't see you. Oh, oh that's <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, Claire. We're not yeah. ignoring you, but go on. Uh, yeah. Okay, so um, to speak to the like, you were focused on being a comedian. So 
I think a better way of thinking about ADHD instead of it being like you can't pay attention, right? You can't attend to tasks. Mm-hmm. is more about, reg- like, again, I'm going to go back to regulation, regulating attention. So there are kids, like when I when I um, do a clinical interview with people, a lot of times parents will say, you know, I know he can focus because I've seen him play Legos for like five hours. And he's like making this amazing like Lego construction. Or, well, they can play video games for like eight hours at a time, which video games like automatically don't count for a lot of reasons, but I won't get into that. So, um, I would say that's, you know, that's hyper-focus, but that's about regulating attention. So there's, you know, being able to focus your attention and get started on something. And then there's the ability to sustain attention, right? And like keep focused on something. But I also think there's this piece of um, regulating, right? Like being able to switch what you're doing for like what the rest of the class is doing and, and then therefore stay and stay focused on it. And everybody daydreams a little bit, but we're talking about, sorry, but this gets to the point of, um, clinical significance, or it gets to the point of like functional dysfunction. Yeah. Dysfunction. Can I say another thing about dysfunction? Um, because earlier you, you, are you raising your hand? I'm well-trained. Um, because I'm trying not to interrupt because I do that because Never mind. So um, I wanted to speak to functional impairment because I wanted to back up when I was citing some of those studies where we were talking about like stimulants being effective. Really what they're looking at, though, is symptom reduction. And so there's actually Mm -hmm. some discussion about, well, are like are these studies looking at functional impairment enough? So so, for example, and and I work with, you know, a lot of adults who have ADHD and, and so for me, when I'm thinking about function, I'm thinking about, are you showing up to work on time? Um, are you able to manage your emotions and your temper at work? Um, are you spending impulsively? Do you struggle with like, and therefore, do you have financial problems? Um, I don't know, like, can you pass a class in college? I mean, so these are like where those symptoms impact life and what they really like, how they manifest. Well, I'm I'm just curious where creativity because you know I've I've done I've done a number of stimulants in my life. I don't really care for stimulants, mm-hmm. but I mean I I agree that they like like say something like and I've I've tried some Adderall and uh, what what is it um Ritalin uh, no no modafinil no no what's the what's the Tartera? new one no it's not modafinil. Are you thinking of methylphenidate? Um, no. Okay. Um, mm. It doesn't matter. Take something like um, like cocaine. Uh, done cocaine at a part where everyone else is like, yeah, I'm a god. And I'm always just like, oh, this is what normal people <laughs> think and feel like. Like I'm going to go home and study. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it makes me um feel uh, like not not super energized just like just actually a little bit calmer or or focused um i i would say which i i think that's um potentially uh, that that's that's what that's what a stimulant does with someone with adhd typically right rather than it, it might stimulate the average person without adhd and make them hyper but for someone with adhd it makes them calmer so i have to be careful here because i like i didn't go to med school so i'm a bit out of my depth so i always feel a little uncomfortable talking about medication and how it works because that's not really something i know a lot about Mm. i know like i know enough to tell 
to say like, hey, here are some questions you might want to ask when you go visit the doctor, or you go visit the psychiatrist, um, or here are some other things to consider, or maybe you should bring this thing up. But beyond that, like I, I really have to be careful about um, not speaking beyond my expertise. Um, I will say, I mean, but I can cite what studies say about, you know, the effectiveness of medication. And um, oh gosh, I don't know what particular study it was that I, I was just reading, actually, like that. Um, so not that not that medication isn't effective for adults, but it's it's more effective for kids than it is for adults. I think for adults, um, really, some of that like behavioral intervention and, and really and truly it can be teaching a skill set. But I've all I think sort of like life hacks, quote unquote, can be more effective um, rather than right. skill set for adults. Well, I was hoping I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to pull up this particular question that I got because it because it summed up a lot of uh, I got a lot of similar um, questions like this. Okay. Can I say something people. while you're um, yeah, yeah. looking at the question? Is yeah. I have just noticed um, in my practice with children too is um, if you're a parent or you're someone who is looking to, um, you know, you feel, find that you have some of these maybe ADHD symptoms and you want to get like tested, et cetera. Um, one thing just to be aware of or to make sure that it's known if you have anxiety, mm -hmm. um, I think that I have seen just personally from experience, children uh, who have anxiety and then go on stimulants like Ritalin or Adderall, it has typically increased their anxiety. And again, this is not like me like citing my medical journal. This is mm -hmm. me just citing what I have seen in clients. So the point being that if you find that you're more prone to anxiety or your child is more anxious, just make sure that you tell your doctor that so you like cover everything because if you get onto a stimulant and you're more prone to anxiety, what I have seen is that the anxiety increases with that mm. medication. I mean, and it could be that it's like, you know, some of the physiological symptoms change, right? Like if your heart rate is going yeah, and right. your brain's like, what's going on? And it's trying to interpret what's going on. And you have this bias towards anxiety and, you know, things going wrong. And, and that's how you interpret it is, oh, not, like almost like panic, like I need, like your brain is responding to this as though it, there's a threat. I don't know that for sure. But that's, I, and, I yeah, and then there's maybe a feedback loop or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, going I'm speculating yeah. because I can't cite any evidence on that. I just love a good speculation. But I'm just, like I'm working love through it. it, and I'm like, I wonder if that's what it is. It's it's certainly like well, not an evidence based uh, speculation, but it might be worth looking into or asking about. You know, I, I, I bring it up because uh, the, I, I did get a number. I couldn't find the one that I was looking for because, like I said, I just got tons and tons of questions from people. But just, just to summarize, um, there was a, a person saying something about how they were, um, they have their, they have had ADHD their whole life and they've been on um, whatever medication for like 15 years or so. And, Although it's helped with their ADHD, they they feel like it's um, uh, made made. I, I forget if they said made them depressed or so, some. They felt that it had negatively impacted their life being on a medication for fifteen years. They have their own kid with ADHD, and they want to find other tools um, mm. to uh, um, to use this. I myself skeptical of as as someone who's 
um, who's hoping and praying and rooting for a vaccine now as, as, as fast as possible and, and absolutely believe in, in things like that, 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 uh, you know, understand the, um, mechanisms of infectious disease and antibiotics and that sort of thing. I, I think that a daily medication that is altering brain chemistry is something that does make me a little bit um a, a little bit skittish and uh, and I am a little bit skeptical of antidepressants and and ADHD medication so one what do you say to people that are maybe skeptical like I am and two um maybe maybe Claire you'd be the best uh one to uh, talk to about this what what kind of alternative um kind of behavioral um cognitive therapies uh, that's what you said. Yeah, cognitive right? behavioral Be therapy. Mm -hmm. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, yeah, would you uh, would you recommend as as a alternative at least to try before before taking the step to medication? Yeah. So I mean, I, the first thing I would say is all the things that Natalie said earlier, like just making sure the foundation yeah. is set. I think that's really important. But and like those foundational level things are so so important like if you want more of a holistic approach and then see like where that takes you and then kind of address that later like you said Shane um I think that's always really good but then like so like do that first right and then if you're if, if a person feels uncomfortable about the medication I mean I get that and and there are some kids especially kids with trauma histories where um because you can have ADHD and trauma you can have both right but um, medicating that can be tricky. So making sure you have like the right psychiatrist, not like a, I wouldn't say like a pediatrician, I would say a psychiatrist for things like that. Um, but so like, that's, that's just the thing I'm putting out there. But if a person felt uncomfortable with it, I mean, so there's something called neurofeedback, um, which, so I've heard people who I really respect say like, oh, there's no evidence to support neurofeedback. But yeah, I read a meta-analysis that was saying like, yes, neurofeedback works for ADHD. So I don't know why people say that because like there is, there's like peer-reviewed <laughs> articles supporting neurofeedback. I, and I, and I've seen- do you, do you think that it's maybe, sorry to, sorry, not sorry for cutting you off. Do you, um, do you think that it's maybe connected to just like that? There's so much excitement. I mean, it seems like, it seems like lots of people are talking about neurofeedback right now. And then there's also seemingly some charlatans just kind of setting up shop as like, Hey, I do neurofeedback yeah. here. And do you think that's maybe some of the pushback that's coming from, um, like, classic academia yeah. about that because because to me it does seem really promising yeah so so going back to it, it's i mean it's not new it came out <clears throat> excuse me um so bethel van der kolk and the body keeps the score actually talks about it as a promising practice for trauma as well and he talks about how you know neurofeedback was coming about right around um the same time that prozac became popular so it kind of got left to the like people weren't paying attention to it as much but it's been around for a long time um i think maybe now people are revisiting it uh i i think also like a lot of people just go to get neurofeedback mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. maybe without like a specific diagnosis or like necessarily a specific goal that it really can help with and so that then what happens in that in that piece, like with a lot of things is that the scientific evidence kind of gets lost um, 
I don't know. What do you think about that, Claire? Well, I mean, so so my son has had it. So I've been I've been through the whole like neurofeedback thing um, as a parent having my son get. So my son has ADHD. Um, he's adopted, but we we landed together. So it's like a house of ADHD. Um, <laughs> and so um, I took him for neurofeedback. And I mean, they do. Oh, gosh, they do brain mapping. I can't remember what they use. Is it a QEEG? I can't, I can't remember. But they're looking at essentially, I'm going to butcher this because this is not my area of expertise. They're looking at um, diff- like the ratio of certain kinds of brain waves in different parts of the brain. And also like, I guess, um, I think there's like in the front and the prefrontal cortex, there's like, is it slower delta waves? I shouldn't even say that out loud because I'm probably wrong, but they're, they're, I have no idea. Yeah. They're looking at, they're looking at all of that. They're looking at holistically, right. In different parts of the brains, what are the ratio of different kinds of brain waves? And I am sure that it is way more than that. So Google it, but, um, essentially then they're, they're just targeting that with like the feedback, right? Like, you, you know, I will also say that, um, not all neurofeedback practitioners are the same. I took my son to a really good one. Um, who I did. Yeah. I have also like met. I met someone once, and I was like, seriously. Um, they called themselves a neurotherapist, and um, I felt like yeah. There's like a lot of terms that can also be like yeah, thrown exactly. around, like in any profession, right? It's like. Well, this is this is like uh, I I mean because we're also talking about chiropractors too here, which which is another one of those professions where it's just there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of snake oil that can be you know in in terms of there's. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, quality w- of providers. W- there, a lot of quality providers. A, a lot of um, a, a lot of like vague ideas of who gets licensing and like as far as far as i know just anyone can provide neural feedback to like anyone can just like make an app and be like hey this is a neural feedback app or whatever and then here okay i did this neural feedback thing today i don't, right? I don't think that's so, true i mean i think i think there's lots of people who do brain training apps right? oh i think it's tr- but no, i, I, I would be surprised i've actually <laughs> looked into getting neurofeedback certified and getting trained in it i mean it is like you really do have to take courses and you really do have to understand it but um you know there's lots of people who can pass the test and it doesn't mean that they're like right like you can pass mm. the test and get the answers right but functionally how are you doing? Right. And so I, I think that that I agree that I think that the quality of care is probably part of um, the hang up with people. Also being able to determine, like, does this person need this? Would this be beneficial and not? Because I think part of like being able to do neurofeedback feed- effectively is to be able to think about um, kind of like what you're doing. So you need to have that awareness to do that. So if you're like completely dysregulated and you're unable to attend to anything, then I don't think it would be necessarily that effective. I, I agree with that because mm-hmm. I, I mean, so it was pretty frustrating for my son um, when he, he hated it, honestly. Right. Because like he can't attend. Yeah. So they're and, like, and it, yeah. yeah. And it, there's a lot of like, there are glitches sometimes with the software. Cause we, we um, rented an, I like, it wasn't an iPad. It was a tablet that had like the neurofeedback programs on it, but they were getting at the clinic, getting feedback about how things looked. Um, and I would say if you have poor frustration tolerance, neurofeedback would be hard because remember there's that goal directed persistence, right? And so you have to persevere through something that's difficult. And if you're not really there yet, then that might make accessing the neurofeedback hard to do. Honestly, you have to be regulated for neurofeedback, I think to have like kind of, can I say something though? Can I, 
It isn't no. I'm gonna raise my hand. Absolutely not. <laughs> but I'm raising my hand. Absolutely not. <laughs> I actually Claire, don't really care. I'm gonna Claire's say it anyways. Still, okay. <laughs> um, so I think that also going back to that foundational level approach, if you um so this is what I recommend for clients too who, you know, are presenting with any sort of dysregulation. So that could be more of um being unable to attend to any specific task for any period of time and kind of being like all over the place. And also on the other spectrum, um, you know, having more anxiety and being kind of like worried and afraid of their environment that I think goes back to that brain processing issue. And so just taking, um, you know, like specific symptoms and going right to medication. I'm not saying anybody does that, but I don't, I think you're going to be missing a big piece. So what I like to help with parents to kind of decide in my practice is right going back to that foundational level and then also um and Claire and I do this a lot I you know having kids work on the sensory processing piece because if their brain is not processing information correctly um and that could be because they don't have the neurochemicals available it could also be that the pathways aren't carved to be efficient yet but you need mm. to have some of that in order for the carryover to go beyond medication as well so if you're just looking for kind of like an easy fix or, or I think medication can be really helpful to take for a certain period of time to kind of get over a hump or if something's like, you know, really impacting you in terms of dysfunction. However, I think long-term really focusing on, you know, the sensory processing piece and that's where, you know, occupational therapy can come in um, is, is can really change like how your brain is processing and that can make more of like a long a longer term impact, I think, in terms of independence. That's that's a really good point. And like, as I'm reflecting, hmm. thank you, Claire. Um, <laughs> uh, How come I never get any pats on the back around here? <laughs> air five, it's Claire. Just, yeah, Sorry, it's Shane. just you two ladies <laughs> high five and one another. All oh, right, Claire, no. what do you? I was, what do you? I was gonna agree. Uh, show show Natalie up now. I no, guess. I'm not gonna show her up. I'm gonna agree with her, and I'm actually so I'm like reflecting All on right. what you're saying, like in terms of. Like, if you think big picture and long term, um, I was actually just reading this article about, like, the problems with how studies are designed when we're measuring um, the effectiveness of stimulant medication for people with ADHD, right? So, like, it's, like, I think, gosh, was it, like, 18? No, I think it was 48. No, that's too much. It was, like, a year and a half, I want to say. I'm going to guess it wasn't as long as you would think. Did you just go between 18 months and 48 months and then come up with a year and a half? I have like, I have the information. Can I grab it really quickly? I like, don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't like giving people misinformation and kind of speculating and, um, okay. All right. Well, so we have nothing in common. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that was the funniest part of the podcast. I, 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 Well, as you're looking that up, and let me throw another thing in the mix here. I noticed when you said frustration, like I get that I get having frustration, really wanting to do a task and frustrated that you can't. I mean, I go back and forth with like, am I frustrated that I can't do my taxes or is it just like no one likes doing their taxes or, you know, that, that sort of thing. And in school, I would say that I was very rarely ever like frustrated with homework so much as I was just like, oh, I don't care about this. Like, I don't like if I was in like CCD um, or whatever, like from, that's Catholic. Yeah. Sundays. I'm like, oh, 
the reason why I'm not listening to this has nothing to do with my ADHD and more to do with there's nothing worth listening to here. And <laughs> and so I would say that, you know, I, I can read like fairly dense-ish like pop science books. I might struggle with more jargony um, papers or something like that. And and I, I would say that I'm a slow reader, but I have like a, a really good, I grasp the concepts very well. I might not have the best retention for, for detail. Um, but it, it seems like we, the reason I bring all this up is, is it because it, it seems like we live in almost an outdated, at least the education that I had seems a little bit outdated for where humans were. It, it seemed It seemed like a lot of like, can you learn to do just like, can you learn to memorize like trivial things? Um, can, can you learn to like, it, it seems like it was something that was built for like doing factory work or something to train you to like, can you sit still at a desk and have a high threshold for boredom and trivial <laughs> tasks? Um, because that's what you're going to need in life in your nine to five job. And, and to me, like I, I, I'll take my creativity over, over a lot of people's, um, yeah, right. that, that, that are, you know, functional or very productive people. And, and so, I, I mean, I think this is a, this is a question that a lot of people have where it's like, we now we live in this world where hardly anyone stays at the same job for more than five years just because the world's changing so fast. A pandemic's happening now. It's making us realize just how flexible we need to be. We're going to probably have self-driving cars sometime soon where a quarter of the uh, economy is involved in transportation. We're going to need to figure out what to do with that. What do you do when all the robots are flipping burgers for the fast food? It, like it just, It just seems like... It just seems like the kind of this is coming from someone that did a lot of factory worker, a lot of factory work before comedy. It seems like that there's not going to be. It seems like there's going to be a lot more demand for people that can problem solve and divergent thinking, and and creativity and and flexibility um, in in our um, quickly changing uh, uh, world and. And this in the system that we're in was just like this little built in this little hiccup of time where factories were an important, like being able to crank out a widget was an important thing to do, which it no longer is because everything's automated. Um, questions, concerns. That's been the show, everybody. Thank you very much. By the way, do you guys have like a while to yeah. hang out? Yeah, I'm I enjoying do. this conversation. I do. Can I? Can we... Yeah, it's like my bedtime, but I will stay up. Because You'll stay I'm up for a, very for a while because we haven't even gotten to like autism or anything yet. It's like we haven't gotten we're... to um, what I think Claire has a really good, some really good points on just uh, yeah. the school system with children with different needs and how yeah. that's impacting them and also like families and parents as well. Um, yeah. And I think that's important to talk about as well. Yeah, yeah. So much, so much I want to well. get to. I have some stuff to say. 
So, all right. The great. first thing, if you're raising your hand, we'll let you speak. Claire. I was. I was raising my hand for a while, actually. You can see me. Um, so, <laughs> what I wanted to say was um, going back to what I was saying about the studies. Uh, it was six to eight months, and like 14 months was the longest study. Going back to the ADHD, like the long, like the long oh, yeah. of studies. That was Molina and Swanson. I don't have the journal, nor do I have the year. But um, anyway, so there's not a lot of like true longitudinal data. Doesn't see it doesn't seem like there's a lot of true longitudinal data. Now going back to what you were mm -hmm. saying though um, about schools, like I would say that was how school was when we were growing up. School is quite a yeah. yeah, like a lot yeah, more terrible. There's a lot more I, movement and flexibility, and you know, you have like maker spaces, and there's a lot more research too linking movement to basically like neurochemicals that were released and how that mm -hmm. therefore enhances yeah. learning. Good. And yet, ADHD because school was a prison that I was trapped in for a long time, and I thought it was kind of criminal, I still do. Um, but I was gonna say, and yet, ADHD persists, right? Like, um, despite all of the, the different like kind of innovations we have. In oh, that's interesting. We still have ADHD. And in fact, I, I, this was like a question that you asked a long time ago, but I remember it. And so it was about how do we know that it actually exists? Well, I mean, we do neuroimaging. So, I mean, mm -hmm. we know that ADHD is tied to particular parts of the brain, right? So, um, you know, like the prefrontal. And it's actually not an overactivity. It's, it's, a, it's a lack of um, a connection, correct? Uh, I believe it's, well... So it's, it's um, understimulated, right? I've heard. That. Yeah, understimulated. But it, like, so if you're looking at the, like the neurochemical level, so we're talking about like dopamine and norepinephrine. Those are like the, the neurotransmitters that are involved with ADHD. And in particular, we're talking about the prefrontal cortex. That's all I know. I've heard that it's um, dopamine transport. Like it's, but beyond that, like I'm not a neurobiologist, so I feel uncomfortable speaking to that. But I can say that like, so in the nineties, when we started doing, you know, brain imaging, we had like MRIs emerge and all these things. Um, you know, we were able to really understand some of these disorders that we were talking about in the DSM better and link them to particular parts of the brain. And in a sense, that's like, you know, like the, the hard science behind it. Right. And then we see the manifestation of what that looks like in people's behaviors. And that's all. Hmm. That's all I have. Hmm. I have nothing to I add. <laughs> Well, interesting anyway. <laughs> I'm just deciding where to go here because autism feels like such a big conversation, mm -hmm. but I got to get to school stuff too. And I got to, I, like, I, I really want to talk to you guys about, about remote learning and, and especially as it relates to non neurotypical, um, children and how, how, people are attempting to figure out how to accommodate um, ed education for uh, for that. Do you, so I don't know, where do you guys, choose your own adventure. Where do you guys wanna go? I think we have tons we do could cover. Do you want me cover. to go first, Claire? I do, I was actually just gonna say that. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can feel that. <laughs> um, so I think that there's a lot of children who are in school and just a lot of children growing up who have all different kinds of diagnosis and even not diagnoses that impact their ability to function in school as effective as possible. 
And so what that means is that you have children who really do qualify. They have diagnosis and they do qualify for an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. So they have specific services that are given to them at school. Um, And then you have children who are on something called a 504 plan, which is basically like if I have trouble attending, I might be able to get qualified or apply for a 504 plan. And that means that I have adaptations in the classroom to help me, you know, learn as best as I can. So you have all of these children who have difficulty with maybe regulation. So they have trouble like attending or they have more anxiety. And so how that impacts them on a daily life is is pretty significant. And even if I'm a really dysregulated child, so let's say I come in and my dysregulation appears um, as more like the symptoms might be more of like anxiety. So I have trouble being flexible. I need to stick to a certain routine. I don't like things that are new. I like things that are very familiar. So then I'm stuck in my house and I haven't had a specific diagnosis. So I haven't really gotten any help yet. Um, And my parents like know that I'm anxious, but they may not even have, you know, really recognized it. And now I'm at home and that's very new. And I don't have the structure that's given to me that school provides that predictability, perhaps. And maybe there are some better things about it. But, you know, there's also going to be some more challenges. And then you have this parent who's also trying to work, most likely from home and deal with their child who is more anxiety prone, and trying to keep this predictable schedule for them and give them what they need in terms of regulation. Because when you have a dysregulated child, you're going to have most likely meltdowns throughout the day or at least one meltdown throughout the day. And that can be, you know, like, you know, anywhere from like 10 minutes to like hours. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do with that child as a parent if you haven't been prepared necessarily uh, to deal with it? You haven't, you don't have a specific diagnosis, but now you just have this really dysregulated kid at home and you're supposed to maintain your responsibilities. And then also like, and it might be even more apparent to you now that your child has some sort of maybe processing issue. And this is where processing disorders come into play. Um, that you didn't really recognize before because oftentimes kids can even hold it together at school, meaning they can stay regulated at school. But as soon as they come home from school, they kind of lose it. So they can basically stay regulated for a certain period of time if they really, really try hard and they kind of overpower the regulation with um, the top part of the brain, which I'm totally spacing on, but it starts with a C. Are about the cortex? Yeah, the cortex. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) Even I knew that one, Natalie. <laughs> oh, Mr. Smarty Pants. Come on. <laughs> I was actually going to say cerebral. That's not right. So anyways, they, they think, they think, they think, and then they can't stay regulated anymore, and they just lose it. So you're going to have parents at home with kids who are just dysregulated all the time. I mean, and I think, I actually think some of the kids with 504s are going to be worse off than some of the kids with oh. IEPs. Um, can, can I ask, how many, how many kids do you both have? I have two. I have two. Okay. How old are they? Yeah. Mine are little. I have a 13-year-old and an 8-year-old, and they both have um, individualized education plans. No, sorry. He's not 8. So oh, I okay. said that 13 and 10. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so what do they do? Um, what do they do? Uh, how how has this changed during the pandemic? This uh, this sounds like every time I talk to a parent, I mean, this seems like such a nightmare. And then also the idea of opening up schools seems like an absolute nightmare as well. This is uh this is seemingly one of the most challenging. I don't have kids myself, and uh, and 
I so I I cannot even imagine the challenges people are are uh, facing, but I I can certainly understand why people are are um are frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I have so I have two kids. They both have individualized sorry individualized education plans. Um, my my oldest son has ADHD and learning disabilities, and you know, um, beyond that, he I mean, he does fine. He really really. Um, his, I believe that he's, you know, um, probably in the high average intelligence range, um, but he just can't access, he can't learn in the same way that other kids can. Um, and, and, you know, so ADHD also um, writing and reading disorders are really, we say comorbid, meaning they co-occur with ADHD a lot. So, that, I mean, so none of that's really surprising. He used to have a really hard time with his ADHD, um, honestly, before we got him on the right meds and truly neurofeedback like was life changing. It really, I mean, I was, I did not expect mm. it to be as impactful as it was. So he's doing okay. He's pretty self-directed. Um, and he, I think, you know, there were some kids in his grade level that were, you know, seventh grade boys that weren't always like kind. And so, you know, having some mm-hmm. space from some of that toxic behavior, I think was kind of good for him. For my youngest, it was tough. Mm. So my youngest has more significant disabilities. Um, and we actually talked about him in the, like there's a case study episode we did on our podcast. Um, and he had a really hard time because I think he has a really hard time. Uh, he, his expressive language is, you know, he's 10. It's probably more like a four or five-year-old's. Um, and his receptive language, meaning what he can understand, is also pretty poor. And I, I suspect some auditory processing issues. Um, and so his ability to learn is really impacted when he's online because um, he, he looks at what other kids are doing in class to figure out what to do. And I think there's a lot of kids that do that. Like when, when they have a hard time processing all the information coming out, like Natalie was talking about earlier, um, especially when they're mm-hmm. in a general education classroom, right, with all their typically developing peers, um, they, they don't, I mean, they, a lot of times can't figure out how to ask for help. They can't formulate the sentences and maybe anxiety gets in the way a little bit too. Um, but they're also maybe having a hard time processing everything that's being said. So a lot of those kids look to what other kids are doing to figure out what to do. And so when you're at home, you can't do that. Right. So what's happened a lot is like, here's an assignment, here's an assignment, here's an assignment. And, and, and I want to be really clear. I am, I'm not, speaking negatively about his, like his experience with school and his teachers, they were amazing. Um, everybody did the best they could in that circumstance, those circumstances. But I would say if it continues to be something like where you just post an assignment and it's like, Hey, uh, you know, get that done. Even if you read instructions, he's not, he's self-directed, but he's not going to be able to understand all the directions that are being spoken to him and he can't watch what somebody else is doing to figure out what to do. And then there's like this intense feeling of failure, right? And you internalize that and you feel like, I mean, he, you know, could say they feel like they're stupid. And um, I, yeah, I think that happened. That happens with him. I mean, when you, when you say that I, I, and I've, I've made this point granted, as we pointed out, education was a, a, a lot different when I went through it and I'm, I'm, uh, um, probably unnecessarily, um, bitter about my experience, but, but my take on the situation, when I, when I hear about some of like the homework assignments and stuff going out, I'm like, why, why is there like, this is, 
this is an incredible learning experience about like real life situations for everyone involved for teachers for parents for kids to to still be like hung up on trying to get out like the what seem like questionable like standardized testing i'm I'm talking about for for just like regular kids in the in the general population it just seems like a little bit odd to still have like like that's what we're worried about kids still getting certain homework like get your american history lesson like we we can't go three months without hearing about benjamin franklin um as um, as like the greatest history <laughs> like uh, your kids ever going to live through is happening around the like hey don't pay attention to any of the stuff that's going around you we're, we're gonna you know that benjamin franklin um put a key on a kite which he actually didn't do but we're gonna teach you that for whatever reason any, anyway like do we do we absolutely need the homework right now or can we just drop like can we ease up a little bit on the homework and testing and put a lot of emphasis into being like hey how do we figure out how to like socially distance and let kids like relate to one another through zoom or remote things and and maybe learn more about washing our hands and give some lessons about why masks are important and 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 things like that right now i i, I don't know I, I don't know. I don't know why we're still doing homework. Okay. Um, I totally have a lot of stuff to say about this. Okay. I don't really have anything other than I agree, <laughs> but I'm kind of curious as to why Claire has so many things to say. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't speak to like, you know, learning about Benjamin Franklin because that sounds like an upper grade. Like I can speak more to elementary level. I mean, I think, I think part of the reason is so for kids with disabilities, there are truly kids when there's gap, like they, um, they need, learning over the summer even because if they're not getting that repetition and and these aren't things like benjamin franklin right this is like reading and this is like math like foundational foundational skills, skills to right. allow them to function in the world right and to not be taken advantage of and um so for some of those kids they they really need that and so i mean i i, right. I do see the importance of it for that um for that reason and, and i also wanted to speak to like the purpose of schools and what kids get out of schools is beyond academic, right? So kids go to school and they're around all these other kids and they make mistakes. They're learning how to regulate their emotions. They're really, they're learning how to um, solve social, you know, social problems and then they're failing at it. And then they're figuring out what to do better next time. And so there's like, you know, the brain is an experience dependent organ. And so, you know, they are, they are developing in the context of all these opportunities for socialization now we don't have that, right? And then, and then the other thing I wanted to say was um, just about, so this is not, you know, for kids who are, you know, neurodiverse, right? Like the kids with disabilities. This is general population. So we have, um, there was an ACEs study done, you know, back in the 90s with CDC and Kaiser Permanente. And essentially they looked at adverse childhood experiences. So they looked at, so these experiences were like experiencing violent abuse or neglect, witnessing violence in the home or community, incarceration, parental separation, substance abuse in the house, um, mental health problems of a caregiver. And I don't think that means like mild depression or a little anxiety. I think there's like significant mental health problems. And they found that the more of these you had, 
the more impact on your health. So like, for example, they found 61% of people had one or more event, right? But one in six had experienced four or more of those things that I just said, one in six people. And there, there were 17,000 people who, were, who participated in this. And they found that the more of these experiences you had, the more impact on your physical and mental health. So for example, people who had four or more of these had a 700% increase um, in alcoholism or like, or like 700% more likely, right, to have alcoholism is something that they were experiencing. Double the risk of cancer, four times the risk for em emphysema. And then um, I don't remember what the depression was, but they were obviously much higher rates of depression. And then just overall, what they were finding is that these experiences, um, you know, contributed to high risk behaviors, obesity, heart disease, like I said, cancer, chronic lung disease, shortened lifespan. So there's actually like a physical impact when people have these life experiences. And we know now that one in four of, before COVID, one in four of kids uh, living in the United States were experiencing, I, I don't remember if it was one or more, but um, we have a lot of kids who experience these um, events. And so school is a buffer. So school is more than just academic. School is like a safe mm -hmm. place where kids who, I mean, I mean, so, okay, there was food distribution. That's great. But if your parent is like, you know, totally passed out from drinking all night, like, and you can't go get the food, you still don't have the food. Right. And so, and, and school has mandatory reporters. So these are like a safety net of people who are looking out for kids who are experiencing violence in the home. So there's this big safety net for kids who are really um, at risk. And there's a lot of kids in our country who are at risk for these experiences. Um, and, and that was before COVID. And we know that like, you know, obviously stress is increased in the house um, in the in the households and homes. And when parental stress increases, people are more likely to um, like they they're more likely to physically discipline or um, yeah. more harshly. Right. So now we have all this other risk. So there there are like some really good reasons beyond just academics in terms of social emotional development, in terms of a safety net for why this is important. And then right. we get to kids with disabilities. Kids with disabilities have an even higher rate of abuse that they experience. So that's why this is like really important. So the, so the World Health Organization says kids with disabilities are 3.7 times more likely than non-disabled peers to be victims of any sort of violence. 2.9% times more likely to be victims of sexual violence. And then if you are talking about specifically people with intellectual disabilities, which is what we used, we used to say mental retardation, now we say intellectual disabilities, they're 4.6 times more likely to be victims of sexual violence. And these are kids. So these kids with disabilities have like this double whammy, right, with schools being closed. So I just want to put that out there, that there are a lot of, I'm not saying we should open the schools. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when people are right. talking about the importance of being in school, that's why they're talking about it. Oh, the, yeah. I mean, this is the challenge of our lifetime. I, I mean, I would, I would, um, I would gently um, push back to some of the amount of social um, interaction. My, my, my memory of the, <laughs> it was. I was always told that kids needed to like develop social skills, and that's what schools is so important. But, but. I remember having to sit in a desk and 
listen to one adult talk at me the whole time. And if I tried to talk to kids, I got disciplined for it. So I was like, oh, where's the social skills? Oh, it's between class when I get a wedgie in the bathroom. Right. Um, <laughs> ter- terrific. Um, <laughs> you sound like, like a popular I, kid. <laughs> I, 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 I think that I just enjoy hanging out with the neighbor co- kid. But like during summer, I had a lovely social experience sure. with with uh, kids and whatnot. And I, I and I would and I absolutely. I mean, the of course, domestic abuse is going to go up in all of the. This is this is going to be one of the most challenging periods of of our lifetimes. And I think we're talking about kind of as we're talking about reassessing priorities. I think that this becomes like a little bit of. When you say there's more than just the education, I think that's the important part of this conversation. If we all just admit that a lot of what this is is about childcare, about people needing, about parents needing to work, about kids needing to be fed that don't have the resources, and so then you're talking about housing children during a pandemic Mm -hmm. at least as much as you are about education. All that I'm saying is that I think that you need to separate those things a little bit, figure out what you're trying to do first, which is like, if you're trying to collect and feed kids in a safe, distanced way in uh, in a building, then probably the school lessons get knocked down a little bit and the people that do get the lessons are the, probably the kids that need a little more attention first would, it, it, in, in, a world where we only have so many resources and we're facing an incredible challenge it it seems like we're going to have to just have like a little more a very interesting conversation about what this means going forward and and how how we could possibly open things up and have childcare and everything else well or i mean and, and one possibility and I, I really think. Yeah, Nat- Natalie, nothing. Natalie, even even so quiet. Anything to add? I just, <laughs> I have nothing to add. No, I my kids are are young. They're one and three. So, um, you know, in terms of my experience with like schooling, has been sort of not as much. And it and it's very my experience has almost been kind of like very similar. Like I was taking care of my kids, and now I'm still taking care of my kids. Mm. Um, I mean, regardless, I, I, I agree with like kind of all of the points that are that are being brought up for whatever that's worth. Probably not much, but I mean, that's all that I really want to hear. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you want a little yeah. praise? Like, yeah, good job. I just, like, I'll do an air five. Just, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I just I just did really poorly in school. And so I started this podcast to have smart people tell me that I'm a good boy and I'm actually smart and worth it. Um, <laughs> Claire, Claire, what were you going to say? Um, I was going to say that I think we have to, so like, I want to be really clear that I'm not saying that we should open up schools. And I also have to be very clear because I work in a school that I'm not speaking for my school district. I truthfully, I mean, I, I get that, like, you know, we're in a pandemic, right? Like we have to treat this with caution and we have to make sure that we're looking at what the data says, um, especially from our local health organizations and that we trust the people who are giving us that information. So, I mean, and and that varies, obviously, within a state, it varies across the country. Um, But I think that connection then is something that we have to think about. How do we have connections with kids? And so maybe when we're talking about school this year, online, not online, whatever, in-person hybrid model, that we're really focusing on connections with our kids because they've been through something that um, is not something that most of us experience in a lifetime. And a lot of them probably have not been able to process it. There's probably been a lot of people who are like, 
let's not talk about COVID, you know, so we need to have, we need to rethink connections. We need to rethink about how do we process these emotions and make sense of what's happening. And guess what? When you do that, that's integration. That's like horizontal integration between the right, right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. And that is improving child development, right? Like that is development, that is growth. So that's just another way of having growth and encouraging development. Um, and so we have that, even if we don't have learning in the way that we um, are used to. Sorry, Natalie, I saw you raise your hand. The, the, the point that I would make about all of that is that I think, I think that this is like, it might be, not be the learning that we're used to, but I think that this is one of the greatest learning opportunities mm -hmm. um, for everyone that, that we'll ever have. So, um, so I'm, not, I'm not that worried about people getting like an education other than the, the kids that have extra needs. Mm -hmm. uh, Natalie? Yeah, I, I was basically, well, Claire, Claire, Claire kept talking and then she was going to kind of <laughs> say what I was going to say. But I do think that also, like in terms of um, parents being able to analyze how they spend their time too, I think this is more of like a different kind of conversation, but and um, how they're interacting with their children and, and what needs they can provide their children, whether regardless of if they have different needs or not, is, is a topic that is becoming more pertinent, I think, to this time too. Mm. Um and also just if you have a child, like going back to that scenario where you have a child who's dysregulated at home and you really weren't aware or you were kind of perhaps like even undermining, um, not on purpose, but undermining like sort of like the quote unquote behaviors that you see and now you really see them, you know, I think that that can also be beneficial because it kind of wakes some parents up to, gosh, you know, how can I provide better for my child's needs? Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like, you know, parents are going to say, well, I'm working all the time. I don't have the time for that. And that's not necessarily what I'm suggesting. And I recognize that. However, I do think that there, you can be aware of something um, is like always the first step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Agree. Yeah. I was just going to say, I agree. I, are you raising your hand? We can't see no. you. Just say, <laughs> raise, I'm raising my hand. I know I am. So, I'm agreeing and I have nothing to add. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, um, uh, well, you guys are awesome. I hope everyone checks out your podcast. I have one. I mean, I just, I could, I feel like I could talk for a whole another hour, but let, let's, let's put a, let's put a little bow on this. What do you think that, uh, do you have, say I gave you five minutes to give the most useful advice to anyone dealing with remote getting the most out of remote education and um and remote schooling because i'm gonna take a i'm gonna take a wild chance here and say that even if it isn't the entire country a lot of people even if it isn't the entire semester there's going to be through the semester, a lot of people um, listening right now that are going to have to be dealing with uh, w w with continued remote learning. I think that, um, like, if I was just going to sum it up, I think that um, going like there's a couple points. One is just to have more awareness, perhaps, of what your child's need is, regardless of what 
what that child's need actually is, but just determining like even more of their learning style so that when you go back to school, you, you're able to advocate for your child a bit better in terms of, you know, their strengths and weaknesses for their teacher. And I think also just, um, you know, circling that back also to the child, if the child is able to kind of think about their strengths and weaknesses, that can also be really great to have that child advocate for themselves, especially when you have a child with different needs, that ability to advocate is one of the skills that, um, you know, eventually you want to be able to teach them, like, I need a break, I need this, I need that. So I think that can is something that can be taught, um, you know, at home with the parents. Um, and that's a big thing. And I also just think that taking a peek at, you know, those foundational things that we talked about as well is something that you can do, you know, really uh, without any additional education or time, just being able to analyze like the sleep and nutrition piece. And is there something like else that's going on, um, you know, that I can improve upon like with myself or with my child so that when we re-enter any sort of like more formal education that we're more prepared. And, and that goes along the lines with, too, making sure that your child is as healthy as possible. And then that also circles back to those foundational level skills. Hmm. Well, sounds like a good time to put stock in Fortnite is what I. <laughs> <laughs> so you got my point. Star Wars battle. Oh yeah. Everyone's going to do all that done and done. <laughs> 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 I mean, this is what I asked for. I did ask for the, you know, I, ideal advice. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think that my, my listeners, um, will, will take uh, a lot of this, uh, to heart. I wish I had more listeners and I wish I had, I wish I had more people that were interested in this sort of stuff because I worry the people that need to hear this, uh, kind of conversation the most probably aren't going to hear it um but uh but regardless um uh claire yeah okay good because i actually have some stuff i want to add um i think (laughs) think natalie really covered a lot of like um you know (laughs) the sort of like getting becoming aware of your child and their learning style and just like the kind of basic foundational things that are um, important to everyday functioning and development um and i want to address well, so the first thing I want to say is that, I mean, I can't give like an answer about like, what's the best thing for online learning, because everybody learns so differently, right? Like we differentiate our instruction for kids with disabilities, and we differentiate for kids who don't have disabilities. So, I mean, it really just depends on the kid. And so then I would like defer back to, you know, like, or refer back to what Natalie is saying, defer to what she's saying. Um, but what I would say is I agree. I think it's, I think it's a huge opportunity. And so when I, when I say that, what I mean is going back to what I was talking about earlier in terms of um, horizontal integration, right? So like we have this, you know, especially little kids are existing in um, this sort of, you know, feeling the sensations of their emotions and um, kind of this like right brain sort of, um, autobiographical, here are my feelings, but I don't have words for them. It's more like big sensations, um, nonverbal stuff, um, nonverb- reading nonverbal cues. And then we have left brain, right, which is more like logical, sequential, using language. Um, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying things, but I'm doing it because I, I want to make it like, you know, accessible. But um, part of development, like I was talking about in brain development is integration. And so if kids are having a hard time with COVID, helping them to kind of start back at the beginning, right? So like, you know, kind of, you might have to um, initiate it for them because a lot of kids have trouble getting started 
on things, but you might say like, okay, so let's draw like a car. We're going to do like a panel and it's going to be like cartoons, right? Or stick figures, or we're just going to say this verbally, but like what happened? So, you know, March 13th, we all learned that you went home from school and you had no idea that you weren't going to see your friends the next day. You had no idea. Right. And then you just found out you weren't going to see your friends and you didn't know when you were going to see your friends. And how did you feel about that? And then, so like really integrating that logical sequential out of, mm. with the feeling, right? And what did that feel like in your body? Because that is integration. That is um, helping with brain development. And then having the kid kind of continue on from there about what that was like and what happened. I mean, that's like the big story, right? But it could be even for little things, but helping kids name their feelings, identify their feelings, notice their subjective feeling states. I mean, there are all these things that we can do to help with a different kind of growth, a different kind of growth than we normally talk about in the schools that I think is really important and very foundational. Um, and I'm getting a lot of this, like my ideas or the things I'm talking about from a book called The Whole Brain Child. And I feel like every parent should read or listen to The Whole Brain Child. It's excellent. And um, it goes into detail about all of these kind of um, interventions, the kind of things I'm talking about. I'll just point out to Claire, though, to that point, if you have a child who is dysregulated, going through, like reading the whole brain child and then trying to do like a, a top-down approach that you're talking about, you'll most likely not have that most that much success because that child is most likely unable to access, you know, the cortex. So that just being said, because if every parent goes home and, and tries that, I think it's a great book. I think it's really applicable in a lot of situations. Um, however, if your child is dysregulated, that's not the place I would necessarily start. But if your child is regulated and able to attend and kind of take in what you're saying, definitely. What about... Oh, slam, Claire! We do that all the time on the podcast, but I Oh, the gauntlet's been thrown down, Claire. We do this all the time on our podcast. But I have a question for you, actually. So pushing back on that, what about the part where when we're talking about right brain, right brain communication because that's attunement and I feel like anybody can do attunement right like if well yes however um <laughs> if you're attuning to a child who is dysregulated you could do it non I would do it non-verbally because that's right brain, right brain yeah. is the non-verbal piece so I feel like anybody right. can do that part right and that that helps that's just basically like you're you're trying to connect with your child which I think is really important yeah. and you're connecting with a child without more of like the cognitive piece right. um, without talking. So it's like thinking about what you would do essentially like with a baby. I, yeah, I mean, I just think mm. I mean, of, like, there's a lot of useful yeah. tips in there. There might be some parents who are like, I don't know if my kid is dysregulated. So maybe try it, right? But just know that the right brain, right brain, that attunement, that is really important for everybody, right? And that in attunement is, yeah, like, that is important we talked for everybody. about is like facilitating attachment um, in infancy. So yeah, that would that should work for yeah. everyone. Can we agree on body keeps a score? Yeah. Huh? Totally. That's a good one. I don't really know what that means. Oh, is that a book? Yeah, it's a book. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's yeah. real good. Um, well, uh, let's uh, let's all agree. I'm I'm sure all of the uh, all of the listeners, um, parents out there, especially the ones with uh, non neurotypical. Um, uh, is what I say in the beginning, non-ordinary, oof, um, I gotta start editing, I gotta start editing on this podcast, 
I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I hope that everyone does uh, tune into uh, the podcast a little cerebral with these uh, ladies. I mean, I feel like we covered pretty much everything um, that there is to know about kids uh, in the podcast uh, today, but I'm sure there's a, a few nuggets. Uh, even, I mean, I did I did carry a lot of weight on this episode today, so, but I'm I'm sure even even without me there might be a few few useful nuggets on uh, on a little cerebral. Is there is there anything that you want to tr- just any anywhere they get uh, podcasts or do you guys have a website or um, Instagram or anything else that you'd like me to direct people towards? So we have a Gmail account, a little cerebral at gmail.com and our podcast is a little cerebral. I think we're on all the major podcasting networks. So we should be not yeah. networks, but stations, whatever. You call it. But if you have like a story, we, we love hearing parent stories and then we can talk about it. It's just really fun. That is terrific because I had, I, like I said, I had a thousand people with questions and I just had to like clump a bunch of them into topics to uh, discuss. So I, I think you're going to get tons and tons of emails from uh, from listeners. At least I hope I hope that you do. Because um, my yeah. listeners are fantastic. And I know that they'll enjoy your podcast as yeah. well. What was that? I was going to say we have Instagram, kind of. It's <laughs> we have a I, technical Instagram account. Technical I wouldn't Instagram. bank <laughs> all yeah, of your all. money on that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Uh, that's how that's how I'm like just with life just broadly. Like I'm kind of <laughs> doing it, you know. It's like a, yeah, I guess it's happening. Um well, um uh, Natalie Manhers and uh Claire Duckwitz. Yes. Yep. Nailed it. Um thank you both <laughs> for joining me. You are absolutely you are fun. You're very, uh, uh, very intelligent, informed, and have lots of interesting things to say on such important topics. I wish I had uh, both of you for another two hours. Maybe we'll do another. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll do another one again. Um, yeah, great. Sometime, that sounds great. Uh, sometimes um, soon. Uh, the next one will be um, how how do you uh, how do you um, help teach American history to your non-neurotypical child um, well on uh, Mad Max rolling um, uh, <laughs> Jeep with <laughs> with a Gatling gun attached to the, to the top. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> getting sensory input. I mean, there is that, right? <laughs> very educational experience um well all right you guys are awesome and thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people we'll talk with you next episode bye hope you enjoyed the show everybody make sure and subscribe comment follow-up questions anything you got if you want to support the show become a patreon saint Head over to Patreon. If you're not into Patreon, you can go to the herewearepodcast.com website. You can Venmo, PayPal. I'll take money any way that you want to give it to me. 
One of my partners, Lost Sailor Design, who I've been working with, I've been selling uh, merch for the Here We Are podcast for five years now. A bunch of different keychains, got all sorts of the belts and things like that. Now, if you go to Lost Sailor Design, if you look in the description of the uh, of the show, you can see um, a, a Lost Sailor Design. Uh, there's a Ooh, look at this. A belt there with a... Oh, is that an ayahuasca root? Oh my goodness. What's that doing there? Um, you can go and you can get an offer code for Here We Are 20. You'll get 20% off the entire store. So not only can you custom design handmade leather work that jared at lost sailor design will make custom for you to your liking maybe you don't want a tie-dyed keychain you want some other color he'll make it to your liking and maybe you don't want some here we are stuff you just want an awesome purse or journal or something amazing like that i've got a bunch of them for gifts for friends and and girls and stuff like that in the past 20% off the entire store with the offer code here we are 20 you're also supporting this podcast and supporting your sense of fashion and style so check that out more info in the description below as well as an audiobook deal thank you for watching